you want to perform sex with me? Perform sex? Uh, I don't think I'm up to a performance, but I'll rehearse with you if you like. Okay. I just thought you might want to have a machine here. Machine? I'm not getting into that thing. I'm, I'm strictly a hand operator. You know, I, I, I don't like anything with moving parts that are not my own. Sex is different today. You see? We don't have any problems. Everybody's frigid. Oh, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> are the other men impotent? Yeah, yeah, most of them, except, you know, except for the ones whose ancestors are Italian. Right, I knew there was something in that pasta. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ro, flying solo this week because it was Lobo's birthday and his wife had already made plans for him. Having said that, this is where I jump into a rather lengthy and somewhat drawn-out disclaimer. Starting off, this week we have James and Adrian McDonald joining the show, and as the title implies to the show, we are going to be talking a lot about sexual technology um, devices, security, things like that. This is not a show that you want to have kids around while you are listening to. Even though we do keep it pretty clean and pretty sterile, surprisingly, it's just not something that you want to have listening to with kids around. Um, having said that, there was also all kinds of crazy, weird Skype hiccup issues. I received an email from my service provider the day after we recorded this, and this was recorded when the storms were beginning to move in along Florida. And for whatever reason, my internet service provider apologized for it because it caused all kinds of strange hiccups through the internet, uh, with them. Um, as you're listening to this show, I've edited about 90% of this stuff up, but there is still some stuff in the background. James's wife was on one line, James was on another, and of course, I was up here in Detroit. They were off at their cabin somewhere where they had a good internet connection, but for whatever reason, there was a delay in our conversation, so our conversation was kind of disjointed and strange at some times. Above and beyond that, um, their dog decided to make an appearance on the show. So you're going to hear all kinds of like paw and scratching and stuff like that in the background. Again, I've tried to edit a lot of that out. So just bear with us when you hear that. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll all come out. All right. It sounds pretty good. I think I did a pretty good job on it. It took me about, I don't know, two days to edit the show to get it to sound right. So anyways, uh, James and Adrian came on the show because they were hot off of the heels of their presentation that they gave down at DragonCon about sex technology, where this is going, the future of love dolls, um, anything to do with uh, the Internet of Things and the recent debate that happened with a particular vibrator and how it was quote-unquote hacked and data was being collected from it. All of these kinds of things are that are what we address in this show. The future of AI intelligence and having to do with sex bots. Um, Uncanny Valley. There's, there's all kinds of things that we cover in this. So sit back. Hopefully you guys enjoy the ride. And I'll see you at the other side. All right, so you seem to be our de facto go-to guy whenever one of us isn't on the show for whatever reason. And this time along, you've managed to uh, coerce your wife into coming into this uh, uh, shenanigan soiree kind of thing. (laughs) So tonight we've got James and Adrian McDonald here. You guys, fresh off of the Dragon Con uh, convention, which if nobody's ever been to Dragon Con, one of you guys describe it. 
Uh, Dragon Con is pretty much 90,000 of your best friends and a couple of guys you absolutely can't stand, but you got to have them at the party anyway. Um, it is one of the largest fan-based Comic-Con type events. You, know, you see Comic-Con out in San Diego. Well, Dragon Con is the equivalent, but it's all fan-run, fan-based, so you don't have all the corporate interests behind it. But you have you know, the same sort of things. You have actors, you have authors, you have people coming in on the different science and tech tracks. You have pretty much if you can think of it, there is a track about it at some point in time. Uh, and I was on or we were both on the uh, what's called the Electronic Frontiers Forum, which is really one of the, the tech tracks is geared towards you know, all things tech, uh, you know, hacking, you know, data breach. Uh, all sorts of fun, different stuff. Uh, I did a couple of panels on social media marketing. I did some on venture capital, capital startups. Uh, and so one of the panels happened to be on the, on basically data security around sex tech. And so I wound up on that. And then out of that, wound up wound up on it as well. And out of that, we also pitched, hey, why don't we do a future of sex tech while we're at it? And so the Friday night panel we did was really more about using the idea of sex technology and getting into the Internet of Things, uh, data security, using it really more as a driver behind the interests, uh, more so than, you know, kind of the, hey, the fun we're going to have tonight. Now, Adrian, you were the one that, that pitched this to them. Was this your idea or how did this all come about? Yeah, they opened up the call for application speeches and, and whatnot, and um, I'm a performance coach, and a lot of what I do is around coaching people around belief systems, around sex, money, spirituality, and whatnot, and this is a really hot topic uh, out in the tech world, and I do have a tech background as well, and I'm like, all right, let's, let's have some fun with this, and when I initially pitched it, the director came back and was like, um... I don't know. I, I was going to say yes. I mean, I was going to say no. Now I'm going to say yes. And we went back and forth a bit. And he finally said, all right, but we've got to put it late at night because it's a mature audiences only. So that's how that came about. And how many people did you guys have showing up to this? The room, uh, the official count, the room held 120. Um And they cut it off at 154. Uh, we had a line out the door. We probably could have had better than 200 on Saturday night while the, the party raged outside. So we were kind of competing to the dance music, but maybe that helped. How did both of you guys come along to get into this? Because this is such an off-the-wall crazy topic. So I, I, I'm a tech guy. I mean, I've been doing business and technology consulting for, well, a very long time. And a lot of that time has been spent around product liability, um, Internet of Things, all that sort of sort of fun stuff. And you get to come across a lot of interesting topics when you deal with health and, and medical systems. But getting in the, into this specifically was more because of Adrian and some of her work she's doing and conversations we've had, research we've been doing for some of her work. All right. So where do you want to start? All right. So I'm going to throw a question back at you. Uh, so let's actually start with the concept of can you give me a definition of sex tech? <sighs> You know, up until recent years, I would I would think that would be pretty much like dildos, vibrators, and things like that. But now, you're seeing things where you have like the real dolls come along that they're not only trying to make them realistic, they're trying to put artificial intelligence into them to respond to you and and be what you want them to be. 
I believe the creator stated that he wants it to be like Guitar Hero, where you're hitting all the right keys and hitting all the right notes to, to get the high score, is something along the lines of what he said. Couple that with things like you have uh, augmented reality, virtual reality coming along. I remember seeing a picture that was floating around the internet of this guy wearing a full body suit, like a Japanese guy, who had this thing sitting on his crotch, and he had the virtual reality goggles and stuff. So at this point, I imagine that's where things are going to be going. Uh, like you see, like in Star Trek and um, like the Matrix and all these virtual reality kind of settings. I think that's the direction that this stuff is ultimately trying to go in one way or another. Well, there was a conference not too long ago where they came in and, and used the definition, any technology designed with the intention of enhancing human sexuality and the human sexual experience. And I threw this back to the, the audience we had last week, and a bunch of people sort of all laughed and, and got a little uncomfortable. And the first thing I did was I picked up my cell phone. Picking up a cell phone, and I looked and I said, does anybody think of this as sex tech? And a lot of people sort of all got the same look at the same time. I'm like, well, we have people sending videos to each other. We have chats. We have technologies running from cell phones and Internet-based technology. So one of those things I threw out there was it's more than just even the things we, we publicly think of as sex tech. It's a lot of the time it's everyday technologies that we have in our hands, no pun intended, that – we can use to further connections with people. Yeah. So just sort of going with that definition, that, that sort of setting where we're going with this tonight is there, there's a much wider scope there than just, hey, we got a sex bot, but we are going to talk a lot about the sex bots. Um, so talking about kind of the history of sex tech we've seen in what I would consider the modern era, you know, 19th century is when we first saw the first sort of devices coming around that weighed you know, 40 pounds and looked like somebody had a, a jackhammer on a steam engine and they were designed to help treat women for hysteria, um, you know, insert punchline there. And, you know, if we look at any of the, these sorts of technologies coming out of that period of time, it was all done in the Victorian era. We had a lot of things that were built and originally designed as medical devices. And so looking at that sort of, of history coming up, but at the same time, as soon as we invent something, the next question is, you know, how can we involve it in our, our social lives? How can we involve it in our sex lives? One of the first comments I made was, you know, let's look at, at the movie industry. You know, somebody created a movie with a bad joke and the second film was porn. So if we look at things like that and assume that we as a society have been taking technologies and playing with them that way, you know, it, we have to look at all the different toys and devices that are around us that influence us on a daily basis. And we have to also recognize that sex is a primal drive. So I don't know. I mean, like say, you know, as we talk about, like say the background of devices and coming forward with that, that's where we're coming at this from is, we largely are still operate. We're operating with 21st century technology in an era where a lot of ways we still have Victorian morals and morales. And, and so that influences how we all see and influence these different these different tools and techs. Do you find that that's primarily like just an American thing? Like I can see this happening in places like in Japan where their social their socialness works differently there like you can see they they got like virtual girlfriends you can have there that are like alarm clocks that pop up next to you in bed and talk to you and things like that there there's such a different society over there where i could see where a lot of this kind of stuff would work whereas in america 
there's a weird taboo here. Like, we don't talk about it. Like, we covered it in the eclipse last week where when the eclipse was going on, there was a huge drop in porn traffic on porn sites. And then when the eclipse is over with, it all spiked right back up again. But, you know, primarily these were all in the Bible Belt states where a lot of this took place. And it's kind of a thing where it's like it's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. Whereas you go over to, like, France and Europe and places like that, there's different attitudes about this stuff throughout the world. So do you find that it works that way as well or no? Oh, very much. I mean, I've worked in Europe. I've worked in, in South America. I've worked in a, a lot of different places. So I've and having seen how we treat sex and sexuality very differently in different cultures, uh, you know, from an American standpoint, there there's a lot of the time you see people kind of looking and pointing and laughing at us. You know, if you go to Amsterdam, it's a very different it's a very different attitude. Same thing with technologies coming out of Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, if we look here, um, it, going back into the nineties, you know, the first times that a lot of the, that a lot of people saw these topics being addressed outside of, you know, the old idea of sex sells, you know, sex in the city and the famous rabbit episode. I didn't watch sex in the city, but I, with a lot of the people I worked with, they were, they kept talking about it and whatnot. It was a major water cooler conversation enough to the point of having to actually go see what they were actually talking about or and while i was not a fan of seinfeld um and i know that just won a bunch of friends you know the master of your domain you know episode looking at that as some of the first episodes we had here in the states versus if you look at what was being broadcast on the bbc in the 60s was a very different very different presentation. So Adrian, you want to dive into that any, any? I think we were back to does is Europe any different? I mean, we've got sex um, dolls. The first sex doll brothel was opened in Barcelona recently. Really? Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think James you had that that article. You brought so, that up last week. Yeah, so and I figured we'd dive into it later, but sure. So the first brothel was opened up and it was using the real dolls. I mean, they were bringing it in. They were using the real dolls as as sex surrogates. Uh, and looking at it, I'm assuming they didn't dive this deep into it, but I'm assuming that they're actually using the higher end um, real dolls from that that actually have more of the AI in them, that actually have many more of the sensors and that sort of technology built into them. Um, and, and that so- is true. They were using the higher end ones. And I mean, from from a from a business standpoint, I'm sure that the owners are thinking, hey, this, this is a money-making opportunity for, for me because I don't have the type of employees that you normally would at a brothel. This goes back to that thing where uh, technology is coming and replacing everybody's jobs at a much quicker rate than ever before to the point where even the sex industry now has their workers are being replaced by robotic dolls now. It, this is one of the things that I've been involved in a lot of conversations about. You know, We keep talking about that technology is coming in and replacing people's jobs and don't want to go too far down that. But what we see is not necessarily that, yes, it's replacing people's jobs, but what it replaces them with is higher degrees of technology and higher skilled workers. So, you know, if we're doing that in the sex industry, it could literally go to where it's fewer people and more people servicing the technologies. Um, but really, one of the things that comes out of a lot of this technology is why is there such a surge in this tech? And, uh, you know, one of the things that came up pretty heavily last week was, you know, we as a society, are we bringing up and bringing in more of the sex tech because 
It's fun. It's entertaining. It's something we want to have to help enhance and increase our relationships, our pleasure, all the rest of this. Or is it because we are touch starved? We are, you know, emotionally starved. We don't have relationships with other people. So the next choice becomes working with technology to try to fill those gaps. And I think it's it depends on which side of the house you're coming from, right? I think from the, the the great thing is that there's a lot of tech that's out there that's improving the experience for the woman. And a lot of that is because you're seeing more female founders in this space. So when they're improving vibrators and um, apps that are allowing you to know your body more by cable exercises and whatnot, most of that tech is geared towards the female experience of either knowing their body better or connecting better with their partner. A lot of these vibrators have the uh, remote controls or they have the apps that your partner, you can use it with your partner. But on the other side of the house, when we were looking at the male market, it seems like it's much more geared towards replacing the human connection. So it's it's kind of a, an odd uh, back and forth there where you've got the female market sort of driving towards more connection and you've got the male market sort of being more disconnected. But yeah, I, I think that there's a certain degree of that, which is uh, it's an easier to service the mechanics of the male. That's a to, good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time last weekend trying to come up with um, acceptable ways to phrase things. <laughs> Especially when we were on, especially when we were on the tech panel and, and the Internet of Things panel. So talking about the the vibrator, something that came up um, is there's just been a recent lawsuit on it that a a particular device there was a settlement because they were collecting data uh, on the uh, or on the usage of the device, and a lot of which could actually be classified as medical data. Um, and I'll let Adrian dive into the, the details of that because she knows it much better than I do. But I know it because I actually own the damn device. So <laughs> it was uh, the lawsuit was settled for about three point seven five million, I think. Um, and it was the company was the WeVibe. And there's a there's a lot of people out there that were saying that they were hacked. They weren't hacked. They it was just discovered that they were putting uh, consumer data into a warehouse without the express consent of the, um, the consumer base. And they argued that their EULA covered that, but it was, it was, a, it was very, very gray. Right. And some people asked me, well, why would, why would anyone, if it was a remote control vibrator, why would anybody download the app? And they incentivize you by having settings on the app that were not available with the hand remote or are using the, the um, remotes on the actual device. So, and, and most all of the tech is like that. If they've got an app associated with the, with the device, they incentivize you to load the app with different types of settings. So they admitted no wrong, but they said, okay, we'll go ahead and settle out of court. And that's what they did. Well, that lawsuit woke a lot of people up in the industry. Um, and they thought, oh, well, you know, of course we want to collect this data because we want to use it to build better products um, and, and, and that sort of thing. That At least that's what most of them are saying. Uh, but it raised the level of awareness for these people that are developing these things that 
They need to get better around their security. Now, I think anybody that's been in tech any length of time knows just everything is hackable. I mean, it just is. But they're now uh, a number of the companies are going, okay, if we're going to collect this data, then we're going to strip all the personal information out of it and, and do the, the normal BI practices that you need to do to, to make it anonymous use. But the, the problem that we're still seeing, or a lot of people are still seeing in this industry, is they don't have the expertise to do that. So you've got companies that are out there in this space, and you've got other companies, like in the security space, that are very uncomfortable still dealing with people in the sex industry. And it's, in fact, uh, a former colleague of mine shared some information out on LinkedIn about the panels that we were going to be on at DragonCon, and she is a former CISO. And she's like, I didn't even know this existed. And I'm like, well, that's because people don't like to talk about it. Well, yeah, I can understand why. I can see there are ramifications for something like this. You know, to even, like the fact that you guys went and gave a panel on this is, you know, that that could turn around and bite you guys in the ass at some point or another, I'm sure. I, I mean, on the surface, I could see where the creep factor is there. But as you said, you have an emerging world of technology. Because my first question was going to be, well, why are they collecting this data? But then you, you follow it up and explain why. Because they want to make better, more user-friendly devices, I guess would be a good way to put it. But If it's on the Internet, somebody's collecting the data. But again, it's like you say, this is an industry where, you know, it's going to have to be something where they actually have to go out and start hiring their own tech people. You know, <laughs> it's one of the, you know, how, how do you... How do you put that into a help wanted paper looking for help? You know, wanted sex toy industry, internet technician should be versed in, you know, all these college degrees, blah, blah, blah. But on the flip side, you can work for a gaming company that depicts over-sexualization of, of women or and whatnot, and nobody thinks anything about that, or violence, and nobody thinks anything about that. So it's, it's, it's interesting even, and, and this is in multiple parts of the world, not just the states, but... that we still have this huge problem talking about sex. Now, when you said that, you know, being on a panel could bite us, for me, it wouldn't bite me because this is the industry I'm in. I mean, I'm a performance coach and I I deal with these topics all the time. But for him, yeah, that could cause some sideways glances with some of the work that he does. But it's something that we, that I work every day to sort of normalize people and say, look, you know, this is not a subject that we need to be afraid of discussing because what's happening is our kids are getting most of their sex ed now from porn. Mm -hmm. That's what the reality is. So when I talk to my, you know, friends and whatnot, I'm like, you really need to have that conversation. They're like, no, no, you know, we've got things locked down at home. You can't lock down your phone, sweetheart. I mean, there's, there's, there is a your brain on porn.com has some really interesting statistics about how the younger set are getting their sex ed and that's the reason why we've got someone like Sidney Gallup who's a former advertising executive that says hey porn is not reality I mean and I'm not anti-porn but it's it's not based in reality so she actually developed a site called make love not porn as an alternative for people to upload real life sex videos as a more of a uh, as an alternative to the billion dollar porn industry you've got a thing in here uh devices are moving into an age of form functionality style and lifestyle and then you got a thing on here 
sex toys, sex toys and devices as art and furniture. Where does this go? There's all sorts of creative furniture now. I mean, you can, you can have a nice, a nice leather lounger that has, shall we say, options for certain um, electronic devices that uh, are, are that can come out of certain compartments at certain times, and then the rest of the time you just lay on it like a regular lounger. That would be that would be creepy if I walked into someone's house and it's like I don't know if I want to sit on that couch because you don't know. <laughs> You know, you don't know where what well, it's been up to. Well, it's okay what? if that's what they do, but because it's their couch. But I don't know if I want to sit on a. I don't know if I want to be sitting on somebody else's couch, with with the history that that couch may have. But then again, <laughs> you, that that could happen anyways in anybody's house. Anybody's house, really. So <laughs> I'm thinking about many of the couches in some of the sorority and frat houses. But exactly, hey, that's exactly. Just me. Yeah. Well, to, just to make it even more fun, there's an artist that does uh, glass pieces that are meant to be dildos, but they are also art pieces. And if you don't know that that's what you're picking up and playing with. Oh, and I've seen that done. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, it already creeps me now walking over to someone's house and like using their mouse or, you know, whatever, because it's like, you know, everybody does this. So we want to be playing with this guy's mouse. <laughs> Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. You all suck. You want to be listening to Hysteria 51. Also, you want to poison yourselves. In order to poison your gallbladder, all you have to do is... Dude, are you serious? LOLOL, ha 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 ha. What do you mean, LOLOL? What are you doing? It sounds like you're up to your old tricks again. We reprogrammed you. Project Archivist is trying to put out a show, so I am messing with them. I just hacked their feed. Why would you hack their feed? Because I like to party. Robot. What are you guys doing in here? Why do you leave him plugged in? I, I don't even know. Ugh, who's he messing with now? Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Dude, cut the feed. No. Cut it! Ugh, but they suck worse than a Dyson. Oh well, I guess Hysteria 51 does too. John and Brent, you are both dead to me. So where do you see the future of this going then? Well, I... From my perspective, I would expect that we're going to see more and more of it become, uh, like say, I don't necessarily want to say commonplace, um, but I would say we would expect to see it become more integrated into some, let's say, social circles. Um, it, when you see some people, it what it really means is if you have certain kinds of interests, there are a lot of ways to meet it. And so it's not just anymore of having a dungeon in your house. Uh, much like the the Hasbro toys or whatever it was from the the seventies, it's 
if there are parts of your lifestyle you want to meet, there are now a lot of different ways and options to get there. And that fit much more into a common into common moral, common mores. But yet they, they blend in well enough that if you don't know that that's what you're looking at, that that's what it is. Yeah, but if you're if you're somebody that is into all that, it's I don't know. I just don't see. I still don't see this stuff just being something that you leave open laying around the house or anything like that. You know, so it's it might become the next like sophisticated sex dungeon or something for the most part. You know, I, I can still see this stuff being shoved away into that little box under the couch or whatever you want, for lack of a better term. Well. There, there's a furniture store in Atlanta that is designed or that carries products around that's specifically designed for for lifestyle. Um, I have not been in there. She has. Um, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because when I went to their showroom, I had to actually work to find it. Um, it was in an industrial park. It was not well marked. I mean, the showroom was was great. I mean, it was beautifully done and, and all of that. But it, there was still that you could feel that taboo going on because it, it wasn't easy to find. So how are you when you go into one of these places like there's always that like you've got the sleazy adult bookstore that you walk into, you know, is this is this kind of the same thing? Or when you walk in there, is it, are you greeted by like a person in a, you know, a suit and all that kind of stuff? Or No, it was it was very high end. I mean, it wasn't and there was no sleaze about it. It was just it was an it was not well marked in the industrial park. Um, you walk in, it was very, very well lit, um, elegantly done, very nice cases. Uh, there were multiple people assisting any questions that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the manufacturing facility, I think, was behind the showroom for some of the devices. And they actually had a separate room that they taught some classes. Um, but you still had to kind of know where it was in order to, to find it. So price-wise, are we talking high-end on this stuff? Uh, the furniture? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think probably four or $500 was the highest piece that I saw. It, it was, you had, you had things that were furniture as in different style cut of pillows and that sort of thing, all the way up to there was, there was a, uh, if I recall, there was a lounger there, but there wasn't. It wasn't like an overextension of replace your living room furniture. There was just certain pieces to enhance positioning, mm-hmm. for lack of better words. Um, and most of that, and I, and some of the devices that I looked at, and I was like, that looks remarkably like something I used in physical therapy. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, it's at triple the price. So, you know, it it's that taking one thing and then repackaging it for a different purpose. Well, there is, as you were just saying, like physical therapy, I could see applications where this would be used for, for people like quadriplegics or people who have been in accidents or people who've lost the use of certain limbs and things like that. There is, outside of just like forms of kink, there is actually applications for these kinds of things where, you know, people would actually need this stuff. We touched on that last week when people were talking about medical use, right? So... Anything as small as even the vibrators to help people with certain dysfunctions all the way up to the furniture like you were talking about. Um, We did get an interesting question last week um, where someone asked me, 
if I thought the sex dolls could be used to sort of curb pedophilia. And um, that, that's, that caused a hush over the room uh, rather quickly. And, and there have been some psychotherapists out of the UK. I've not seen any in the States that have raised this up where they thought it may be able to be used in a therapeutic setting. My personal opinion was I thought that would further desensitize and wasn't addressing the root problem um, of, of that particular issue. And I would be uh, concerned that it might uh, cause an escalation scenario. Um, and that brought up to the fact that they the, another problem I have with the, some of the sex dolls is they're now making them with a quote frigid sesh, uh, setting. Yeah, what's and, up with that? And, and that that was that was really disturbing. I mean, I, I'm, it's not. I think anything that can enhance our connection or pleasure is a fabulous thing, but when you get into replacing human beings, that's where I I, I think we need to address the root problem of why you don't want you think you can't have a relationship with a, another human being um but when they came out with frigid Farah, that was like okay because there there was a whole blow up on the internet around frigid Farah because it was like okay is this going to further desensitize the people that go this route so that to the point where they can't read the body language of another person it gets again you know, it goes into the consent uh, discussion. Um, there were some people that brought up, you know, is it rape if it if it's just a doll? You know, these types of scenarios. It was a, it was a huge discussion. It's, a, it's still an ongoing debate. Mm-hmm. Well, and beyond that, if we look at some of these more advanced dolls that have higher ends of sensors, higher higher ends of tech, artificial indel- intelligence, the ability to respond back and forth, and now we're we're allowing for people to configure and program these things to be again we're back into that conversation of where's you know where's the risk where's the benefit and are we enabling people to ultimately escalate on on bad behavior or are we doing something that allows them to to satisfy certain needs well again we see in different forms of psychology if we give people tools that enable them to uh, exercise certain uh, certain proclivities, but without the other side of it, which is counseling, which is which is without those things, it would allow us to help counsel and adjust that behavior. It becomes a point of escalation more often than not. Yeah, in some sense, you sound like you're making the argument, though, like violent video games. You know, uh, should we allow people to play these violent video games, like like Grand Theft Auto, where you can go out and just shoot people, or you know, anything along those lines. You know, yes. it's like, where do you draw the line at then? Exactly. And I, I don't think, and this is part of the reason for Friday night and talking about it from a legal and a policy standpoint, um, because you're exactly right. I, as we look at something like GTA, you know, Grand Theft Auto, it, that allows you to go out there and rape, kill, murder, steal, whatever else. You know, there's already a lot of arguments going and saying, hey, are we desensitizing kids uh, to this? Well, the, the argument is, how well can we tell reality from fantasy? And I think that's where where the line becomes a bigger question because as we move further into things like augmented realities, uh, when, where 
and for anybody who's not sure what augmented reality is, you can think about things like Pokemon Go, where we can hold our cell phones up, you can see an image of the real world around you, yet uh, also you can have digitized images pop up superimposed. Well, that's an augmented reality. Google Glasses, where you can start seeing things like a HUD that gives you information on what's going on around you. Well, these sorts of things are going to be blending reality and fantasy much more. And I think that's really the bigger risk. You also have to, well, you don't have to, but it, this ties into what we're talking about, this idea of artificial intelligence being put into these machines. Now, me and you had talked on the phone about what's happening with the process of empathy being included into artificial intelligence now. And that carries over to these sex dolls because essentially what you're doing is you're programming a form of empathy into these sex dolls. Like you have over in Japan, I believe it's Japan, where they're making the robot nurses or the 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 caregiving Ro- robots for the elderly people. You know, they're they're programmed to. They're re- building robots. Go ahead. Yeah, they're building robots that are designed in Japan for to give companionship, to give comfort, to provide a lot of medical services and you know basic medical services. So we see development along these lines of empathy and the ability to connect with people. And so as we as people are going to build stronger and stronger bonds with, uh, with, with what typically could be considered inanimate. I mean, it's much more than even what we would have with, say, a pet that's a living being. At what point does an AI evolve past that? So if we now consider we're, we're putting artificial intelligence that has some self-learning capabilities, learns and adapts, and we're putting that into these dolls and then, you know, continuing to shove them down the road of, are they property? Are they intelligent? Are they sentient? You know, now I think we can, you know, readily say, no, they're not sentient, but it's coming. You know, think about something like Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Think about movies along those lines where we have... You know, cloning. We watched. So, if you, there was a movie we watched that was called Vice. I don't recommend wasting the time, but it, it was addressing the idea of having a a, a colony, of basically of cloned that uh, of cloned bodies that were also driven largely by electronics that were there to serve us for, in essence, a living Grand Theft Auto environment. Well, not to spoil the plot because there wasn't one. You know, when mm-hmm. things go awry, um, yeah, you know, and, and somebody turns the machines loose, it was almost that Westworld idea of the robots are really pissed off that they've been killed repeatedly, raped repeatedly, and part of, you know, hedge fund managers' great great fantasies. So if we move to a point where these technologies have the ability to learn, have the ability to remember, and then develop some ethos, going back to an earlier conversation, then, yeah, we potentially could be looking at something that starts to cross and blur lines between personal rights, private rights, and, and technologies. Well, to carry this around a little bit more, you've got a note on here about True Companion. Um, what is True Companion? They're another uh, manufacturer of sex dolls. And they've got something where they can build an AI based around a deceased friend? Oh, no. Um, okay. The... the, <laughs> the um, yes and no. So the founder of that particular company went into AI because he lost someone in 9-11 and he created uh, a, a, a 
an AI to replace his his deceased friend. And then he jumped into, hey, if I, I'm pretty good with this technology, let me go into the sex bot world. And that's where he, and I, I'm not mistaken, he is the one that has frigid Farah. And so that does cross over because his AIs that he's building are much more interactive, much more expansive, because that's what he originally built the system to be. So if we have that ability to, uh, let's be honest, we're exerting our will on top of, of another object, but we're giving it some degree of intelligence. So there's, at what point do we cross a line there and what time, at what point could that intelligence not be happy about that? If we look at all the different systems that are being used and built to create these sex dolls, and this is just one part of the industry, but if we look at everything that's being done to build them, we're making them more realistic, more human-like. You know, we've all seen articles going and talking about people in Japan, people in China, that, and, and even elsewhere, that have built relationships so strong with their sex dolls that they broke off relationships with their spouses, the rest of their families, mm-hmm. to the point of dressing them up, taking them out, um, you know, taking them to dinner, taking them out for photo shoots, and really having a much more real life. Well, as these devices become more and more you know, self-autonomous, they can walk, they can move, they can talk, they can respond to us. Again, do we have a responsibility and an ethos if we create something that has a degree of intelligence? Yeah, we do. But this is the weird thing that I always go back to with AI. It's like this story has been around for a long, long time about, you know, mankind builds something artificial uh, we end up treating it like dirt, and at some point or other, the artificial thing that we've created rebels against us. Uh, it's you know you see you see it over and over again. You see it with Battlestar Galactica. You see it with Westworld. You see it with Blade Runner. Uh, Rasmussen's robots, I believe, was the first actual story written about this kind of thing. And again, it goes back to at the end of that story where the robots in turn end up creating a new form of life at the end of the story. And what's funny is, is like, we've told this story. We know how this story ends. We know exactly how mankind is going to react to this. We're eventually going to create these things. We're going to treat them like dirt. And, you know, it's, it's just in our nature. We know that it is. Yet we are still striving to create artificial intelligence, even though you've got people like Elon Musk saying, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do this. We need to be aware of this. Yet we're still like, let's make artificial intelligence. And well. And I struggle with, well, if we know this is what's going to happen and if we know we're going to do this, because it's not just the sex thing. We're, we're creating artificial intelligence everywhere to try to help our lives out. And the sex thing, as we said, we've said many times already, this is just the next step of it. So it's like if we if we're pretty sure where this is going to end up and we know the final result, why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep as a species? Why do we keep trying to push towards this? Because that's what we do. Uh, and, and I will challenge something a little bit as a fiction author and as a technology writer. We write these stories, we develop these things as a warning to hopefully steer us to make to take better action. I am a huge proponent of co-creation theory. And what co-creation theory is, is that I as, I as the creator of material am responsible for part of creation of the ultimate result. My readers, the people who work with the systems that I build, all of them are also just as responsible frequently about how 
those things get used, how they experience them. Just because I write a story about something that has happy ending, a maniacal ending, because those are more fun, you know, I can create the world, I can create the experience, but you as the reader, you as the experience are going to be coming from a completely and totally different place potentially. And how you interpret that could be very different from how I do. And so the same thing is going to be true as we build these systems, these AIs, you know, going back and talking about these sex bots, even at their current level of state of tech, some people could use them, you know, for purely entertainment purposes. That's what they're quote unquote designed for. Other people may wind up using them because they, they have inabilities to create bonds with people. And this is the only way that they can have a seemingly somewhat, you know, somewhat of a bond with someone else and other people are going to use them to elicit and express fantasies. It's the co-creation. It's the creator, the designers, the developers, the people that are building the tech and then how people decide to use them. That's going to decide that. So why do we keep doing it? Because we know it's coming because fundamentally we always do, you know, why, why build nuclear weapons? Because we know at some point they're going to get used. Why build, you know, why build anything? We know it's going to get used. And just because it exists, people are people. We're going to use things for good. We're going to use things for ill. Hopefully the majority of the time they're used in a positive way. What's the other thing that's strange about it? Like we're, we're older, so we're talking about this from a different standpoint. Our kids and the next coming generation, technology is evolving. Like I'm beginning to get to the point where I'm beginning to be the old man that doesn't know how to use the, the remote control. You know, it's just the way it is. But the younger generation being exposed to, like my kids have never known a world without the Internet. You know, I for me, when AOL came along, it was like, wow, this is, this is, this is crazy. You know, now we have the Internet and you can do all this stuff. My kids have never known that. My kids have always known a world where they can pick up a phone and get anything they want off of the Internet, off of the phone. They've always known a way that they can get any kind of music any way that they want to. Movies, they can always, there's always a way that technology is always there. For them, it's just the way that it is. And the way that this stuff is evolving, you know, they as we were talking earlier, as, as your wife brought up the whole thing about kids and sex and the Internet and so forth, this is what the internet is for them. Like for us, we look at it and go, wow, kids are learning all this stuff off of the internet about sex and everything. And for them, that is the world. So what's going to happen next then? What is the next phase in all of this? I wonder like when my kids are to the point where they're having kids and get, you know, the next generation's coming along, where is this stuff going to be at that point? How is the world going to be for them? Cause it's so fast now. Well, my argument is this is, it's really more about the augmented realities. Um, so we all remember the the cinematic masterpiece, Demolition Man, um, and the scene in there where you've got Sylvester Stallone and um, I just went blank. Sandra uh, Bullock. Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Sandra, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, Sandra Bullock, and she's like, "Oh, do you want to have sex?" And he's like, "Well, I've been in an ice cube for a while, so sure." And the next thing they come in and they put nice little helmets on them and you start seeing flashes images there's there's a physiological reaction Mm -hmm. i think that we're really moving towards a world where that becomes much much more possible so think about blending all the pieces we've been talking about where um theoretically let's say that i have a sex doll sitting here and that it has an ai well 
I'm also operating in an environment where, you know, Tinder versus 37.0, when I swipe right, I bring somebody up into a chat. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. And their personality moves into the sex bot. They've got a sex bot on my, on their end, which some part of my personality moves into. And you create a complete augmented environment where it's blending of humans, technologies, and it becomes almost seamless. But we also continue to isolate ourselves from real human touch, real human interaction. I think that's a risk. The other thing I think we see is that augmented realities will make a lot of things much more acceptable. You know, we see today, you know, problems with kids that have not figured out how to responsibly use a cell phone or people in Congress that have not figured out how to responsibly use a cell phone, you know, sending dick pics. Well, you already have situations now where I was reading, um, it was one of the articles that I posted on our Facebook page where you've got teenagers that are like 18 years old that are already experiencing erectile dysfunction because they're so addicted to watching porn that, you know, your wife might be able to attest to some of this because she might work with some of this stuff where these kids are already having issues of erectile dysfunction or that they're, yes. you know, they're having such a hard time coping with, with sex with a real person because everything that they've learned, they've learned from watching porn. So where do we go down that dark road? I mean, that, that is true, that, that you, there are record numbers of younger and younger uh, sexual dysfunctions, um, as young as the teenagers, which is kind of scary considering from a uh, testosterone standpoint, that's the peak for the male. Um, we're seeing this more in male than we are female for whatever reason. I guess, you know, teenage hormones worse for the guy. I don't know. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, don't have to deal with that somewhere. problem. Uh, doing pretty good here myself. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Um, but it was interesting to me the age dynamic that we saw in the room with at DragonCon. We had people that were either probably in their 20s or we had people that were in their 50s and up. And there was not a whole lot in between. In my, I, would you agree, James? I mean, that was pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, it was either under 30 or. Over 50. Yeah, or over 50. Yeah. So. Um, and they were asking questions that would lead me to believe, uh, at least a couple of them afterwards, were, what do I do with all this technology? I mean, it, they're very, very overwhelmed. And I think that that's why you're seeing a, a rise in uh, people going into sex therapy and those types of fields because they know that there's going to be a market for it because it's growing already. So what becomes next in the sexual cyber therapist that's there to help you with your problems with cyber sex? That already exists. You, you've already got therapists that specialized in um, dealing with people that are addicted to porn and, and, and those types of environments. I think where, you're, where people are not fully up to speed are pr probably people on the medical side that are having people come to them go, wanting Viagra in their 20s. And they're like, you, you shouldn't need this. I mean, it used to be when Viagra first came out, because we're all older, so we remember when Viagra came out, um, that it the people, the younger set would say, oh, I'm going to try this because I'll last all night long or something along those lines. It was like a fun 
experimental thing. Now it's it, people are coming in asking because they don't know what to do because they're having real physical problems. But I think that that point of they don't know what to do crosses a lot of boundaries beyond just, you know, physicality. It's what are the psychological components? What are the sociological components? You know, while we still want to. But on the flip side of that, the younger set is a little bit more willing to be out and open and have the conversation. They'll ask different questions than, say, my clients that are over 45. Yeah, again, though, but that might just be a byproduct because of, of you know, the, the, the millennials. I'll go back to the whole millennial thing again. Um you know that's that's just the way the generation is. Sex, yes. sex for the younger generation. They were talking now about how millennials approach sex much differently. It's just they don't have the whole first date thing and stuff like that anymore. Like the whole concept of sending. I work with a guy. He's younger, and he just he talks about it all the time. And he's always like, "Hey, check out my phone. It's just picked. This chick just sent me a picture of her breasts." And it's like, "No, nah, I'm cool. You know, I don't need to see that." But it's just something that's done, you know, and he's like, yeah, I send I send people dick pics and stuff all the time. I'll send them to chicks and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, you know, it's like it's just so blase. It's just so, you know, yeah, like whatever, you know, it's just something we do. And the whole there's there's less of a, of a want for a relationship there anymore. Whereas, you know, when we were younger, after you go out on a couple of dates and maybe something will happen or whatever. Now, a lot of this stuff is just it's discussed figured out worked out ahead of time and boom it's done you know it's almost like a you know like like a negotiation phase or something i don't know how to put it it's it's very it's very different than when i was younger (laughs) i think that what happens is they start doing that in text messaging and whatnot so their whole like their whole courting phase if you will is all done electronically so when they get together in a lot of ways, it's a lot more advanced than it should be for someone you've just met. But on the other hand, it's also backwards because you, you don't know their body language. Again, and these all these things factor in. Well, I'll say something about the dick pics I think is, is interesting. It's not just the millennials. I'm seeing a growing trend towards the older people, like 40 up doing the same thing it's like the tinder and the bumble and and those types of dating apps i I routinely have conversations every week with either girlfriends of mine or you know male friends of mine or whatnot that are talking about yeah i just got this pick and and it's so although i think it's more prevalent in the millennials it's it's growing for the older set. I don't think that's and, something I could ever do. It's just too. I don't know. <laughs> and and I don't. I, I I actually we were talking about this earlier this evening because it's something that I've read a lot of articles on. Most psychologists think it's coming from a place of more power than it is about sex and sort of sort of power play. Um, I personally have received unsolicited pics myself, uh, and and I'm married, so it's just like it's weird that you know you get this random. I'm going to yeah. Send I this need to, to apologize you. for that because James accidentally gave me your phone number and they were supposed to. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <I> just, <laughs> I didn't mean to get Wait. in the middle between you two. 
but it happens and, and it's very blase. And, and, you know, I've had conversations with people going that have tried to send it to me or have sent it to me and asked, A, why did you do this? And what, what was your thought process behind it? And uh, I probably shuts them right down. <laughs> it, it, it really does. Well, what really do you mean you're like, asking me to think about this? I don't know. I just I, did it. I, I just I thought it would, you know, stir some sort of reaction. Well, that is true. It does stir. But interestingly enough, on the women's side, something like 70 something percent of women say that is not something they find attractive unless you're already in the relationship and you're going back and forth with the uh, erotic pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and I'm going to throw this out there too, because, and it does not happen often. It's happened a couple of times, but I've had a couple of people send me messages. Hey, send a dick pic. What they get back is a picture of Richard Nixon. Oh, um, I do that to people all the time. It, it, I do that it, to people all the time. I've got, yeah. I've actually got a folder on my desktop full of nothing but people with the name Dick and there's 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 a couple of listeners that I'll do this to, and it's a joke. It's a big joke, you know. If I if I know someone's having a bad day or something, I'm like here, I'll send you some dick pics, and I'll send them like a picture of oh, Dick yeah. Clark, uh, you know, Dick Butt Kiss, and I've got all these. And that's the, that is the joke of it, though, is that you know, rather than sending the real thing, I'm sending them. It, it, it's just kind of a joke kind of thing, for the most part. So yeah, I've, I'm I'm very guilty of doing that. Yeah, yeah. but again i I think a lot of it falls back to we don't have the social connections like we used to i mean i i traveled for more than 20 years of my career um having a relationship having even friendships becomes very challenging when you rarely if ever actually see them um you know it, it just is challenging and yeah, you know, when you throw on top of that the the hours and stuff I used to work, you know the the work is all is there. But I mean, for the number of people that I've known that travel for a living and whatnot, you know, trying to keep connections up there, you know, cell phones were just a godsend. So you know, some of these other technologies that are are going to come into play. I mean, it's not that any of these technologies are inherently good or bad. It's tech. It's how do we use them? What do we use them for? Or how do we do we use them? to improve our relationships if we elect to use them or do we use them to replace our relationships? Well, carrying this back around again, uh, since we're wrapping up towards the end of this year, we've talked a lot about where the future of this technology is going. And we've talked about putting artificial intelligence into these things and the augmented reality and stuff. Being that you're more researched on this, I I know um, uh, this whole thing about putting artificial intelligence into these robots or to these sex dolls, that was like a year ago. That was what was actually coming. Where? How far are we from this stuff actually being here? Like this augmented reality, the next phase of where we're going to. How soon are we going to get there? We're here. I mean, if you look, there's already video games out there that allow you to play fully immersive, like multiplayer games. But instead of going out and playing World of Warcraft, you're going out and playing World of Daycraft. Um, so those games are already there. They're already coming out where they're designed for Oculus Rift, where they're designed for the 3D headsets. So a lot of this is already there. There are there are chairs, there's devices going back to the furniture that are meant to work with that immersive environment. Uh, one of the questions that came up last week, and I, I went back to go do a little bit more digging, somebody said they had gone to the Museum of Sex in New York City, which I've never been to. 
uh, and he started describing a setup that was goggles and gloves and some other pads and then this big thing that went around your crotch. And he says, what's that for? And going back and trying to go by, by memory, I remember seeing this, but I remember seeing an earlier version of it and the development of it as an early 3D game. Mm-hmm. Well, when it didn't really sell, really didn't do anything else, that's when they developed the basically the um, plug slot A into tab B device to go along with the immersive experience. So while it was still v- little more than, you know, kind of 3D of the mid-90s of squares, triangles, and circles, you could, I guess, put enough of an image together to, you know, to create that experience. It's here. The technology is here. It's just very, very costly in a lot of cases. You know, when we talk about things like the Internet-connected sex devices, uh, look at um, Big Bang Theory. They did an episode where, you know, they had two, you know, remote devices for kissing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that Those sorts of things actually exist. So you can create and stimulate an environment on one end and have it go around the planet. The Internet is a wonderful device that lets you move data. All of this boils down to being data. But I think the next generation when we look at this is if we look at like the implants that Google is working on, the neural implants, the question is going to become once we're all connected on a much more visceral level, we don't have a device I can just power down. It's literally wired into me. You know, I, that's not on my list of things to do, but I know people that are working on that project. It's hard to believe that we wouldn't be looking at a day where neural interfaces are not one of the core factors there is not creating, hey, I'm sitting in the bar and have a remote conversation with someone to meet them first, you know, purely brain to brain to determine if there's compatibility. Um but I, like I say, I think if we look at the future of what's coming is if it's something that we see that can be used, it's going to be applied to the industry in some way, shape or form. And the other thing I think we're going to see more of, which is which has also happened, a lot of this connectivity, a lot of these applications get developed and then we find other uses for them in the wider world. But tech is tech. I mean, to, to boil it down to its lowest extent. Um, you know, creating an application that triggers something to happen on the other end, whether it is a camera, whether it is something that creates vibration or motion, um, whether it's something that creates heat, electrical impulses. There's a lot of ways that, that gets used, and it's just a matter of application. And I hate to boil down the technology to that raw of a level, but, you know, fundamentally, sex is still just a mechanical enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the social aspects of it. It's the fair, you know, it's the pheromones, the neurochemicals, those things that happen that make it a meaningful experience. Mm-hmm. So, where do you do you still see this as going to be like some backroom, hidden, tucked away kind of thing, or do you see it becoming more prominent and more accepted in society? I think we're already seeing it become more prominent. Uh, you know, if you look at how much is it. Uh, we see sex just spread into everyday, you know, TV, how much more it's moved forward. Look at something like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Look at something like um, American Gods, some of these shows there where we are making sex much more present to the point where it's instead of being something that becomes part of something that would enhance the experience, it becomes 
like anything else. We're going back to the video games. If we are doing something that we are so immersed in it, we become desensitized. And I think that's part of the reason we're seeing the technologies become more prevalent is people are looking for ways to amp back up what naturally we should be feeling. Well, I guess, um, is there any closing thoughts here as we wrap this up? I think from my standpoint, I'm going to reiterate the fact that these, the tech can be used in great ways. I mean, you can use it to bridge and, and connect to your partner in a much deeper, more interesting level and keep things alive in your partnership and, and whatnot. So I don't think that, I think a lot of these articles that are out are, are putting out the downside and the, the and there is a lot of risk, but if you can still use it's like he, he said earlier, you can still use the technology for good. But I think you just have to make conscious decisions on on how you're engaging with it and, and not use it as a replacement. I do have some clients that are not currently in relationships and have not been in relationships in a very long time because they're, you know, very, very shy or they've had, uh, you know, traumatic breakups or, or whatnot. And we talk a lot about that need for connection and, and need for physical touch with another human being. And, and there's, there's options for people to do that. But I also think that um, we also, as a society have to be cognizant of what the risks are. I think we need a lot better um, uh, conversations with our children especially in light of the fact that they're getting a lot of their sex ed from, from porn and, and whatnot. And I think this also goes into I, what I'd also like to see completely redone is our uh, sexual harassment training in corporations, because we've already proven time and time again, that doesn't work as well. James. Yeah. The only thing I'd come back and reiterate is again, it's tech. I mean, it's not tech is not inherently good or evil. You know, there's nothing that says that the hooker bots can't become Terminator bots. Um, it, you know, again, I think that it's more a matter of we need to look at things in a more open way. And I'm not going to go so far as to say it's an accepting way because we all know that there's people that aren't going to accept anything. I mean, we sat last week at Dragon Con walking by the protesters out front with signs telling us we we're all going to hell because we were worshiping a dragon. Um which shows how well they knew what we were there for. But again, it's more about how do we, how do we open up the conversation as a society so that it's a more healthy society overall? Well, I guess we'll leave it on that then. Cause I've had you guys on here for over an hour now. Um, I appreciate you coming on here and talking about this. This is a topic that I think should be discussed more and shouldn't be covered so prudishly. And it shouldn't be something that's relegated to, you know, like some page on Hustler or Playboy or something like that, because a lot of these problems, uh, as me and Adrian were talking about, they're they're snowballing. There are problems that they're snowballing that need to be talked to and brought out in the light and addressed. And at the same time, this is the next wave of stuff that, even though it's here, it's still coming because it's going to be a matter of okay, yes, all this stuff is here, but it's expensive. But there's always that drive to try to make it cheaper and try to make it more affordable and more accessible to everybody. And I don't see that taking too much longer. You know, the next step is going to be how can we get this stuff onto people's cell phones? How can we plug this into that phone or whatever? 
Um, well, actually, since you mentioned that, I'll let her mention the fun device we investigated after last weekend. Or did we lose her? Um, apparently, there is a flashlight attachment that you can attach an iPad to so you can have your more immersive experience. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. How much more? <laughs> it looked I, it was very bulky. I'm like, I don't know how that would how well that would work. It, it was a very interesting. Um, it was a very interesting looking device. People will adapt. People will find a way. They'll say, "Yeah, if it does that, sure, I'll try it." <laughs> exactly. I'll try it once. Come on. I don't. <laughs> All right. Well, James, we've. Uh... All right, we broke him. Yeah. <laughs> this is the idea of sitting there and, and, holding an iPad with a thing attached to me is just like, but then again, that's what I just said. How do we get this into people's phones? So yeah, there you go. You right asked, there. Yeah, you I opened did. the door. I opened the door. I did. I did. And I'll get the package in the mail next week. But, um, <laughs> yeah, my wife's like, what's this? Oh, nothing. It's, um, it's a pool stick polisher thing. Don't worry about it, honey. Well, you can. Well, you can save your pennies for that $15,000 real doll that's coming at the end of the year. $15,000. My God. They start at six and they go up, I think, to about 15. And the high, the, the one that has the, the most programmable um, options and physical attributes, I think it's around 15, 16,000. I remember reading a couple of years ago, I don't remember where it was, but there's this big push in in the artificial skin industry to try to come out with the most realistic feeling artificial skin because nothing feels real right now. It all it all feels like latex or rubber or what have you. And that's they they said that it was gonna be for artificial limbs and things like that. But the people shot back, no, this is also for the porn industry for porn dolls and love dolls. This is the idea that they're trying to come up with an artificial skin that that gives off warmth and the feel of what real skin feels like, because nothing quite feels like real skin, like real living skin for the most part. It's you know you can you can you can touch you can touch an artificial limb or you know anything like that and you can go okay that's latex or that's whatever it is, and that's one of the big pushes is they're trying to get this stuff developed. Well, and that's. That's where a lot of this technology really lies is with, with what's called the uncanny valley. It's we can look at something and know it looks not quite right, you know, and it's one of those things that we keep edging closer and closer and closer. You know, the idea behind the uncanny valley is something looks real, but our brain tells us it's not. You know, if we look and, and probably the best example as of late was Princess Leia in the latest Star Wars film in uh, Rogue One because she never blinked. You could look at her and know consciously, oh, okay, yeah, they, they recreated and everything else. But looking at her, it was very realistic. I could look at it and tell from a digitized eye, yeah, I could see where it's at. But it's one of those things that creeped everybody out, well, they don't, but they didn't know why. Well, the reason it creeped them out is because we could consciously tell it wasn't human. And that's where we lie with a lot of this tech is we're we're creeping up on that edge. Well, the other thing is we knew it wasn't real. So that's the, like no matter it's that's one of the things I wonder about like with Princess Leia, I don't think no matter how real they got her to look that people would have accepted it no matter what. There was the thing way back with Jeff Bridges with Tron when they came out with the, the sequel to Tron, and that was one of the first areas that they used that technology to make young Jeff Bridges they went and mapped his face and 
they did all that stuff and it, it did look you know it did look cartoonish and, and fake but it still looked pretty cool so the Carrie Fisher was like the next wave in that and that in my opinion was a huge step up and I really didn't care I knew what I was looking at wasn't Carrie Fisher and I knew that it wasn't our Admiral Tarkin that I was looking at I knew that the actors were dead but still I was willing to suspend that disbelief for purposes of seeing the Star Wars movie but you have some people that I don't think that no matter how well they get that technology, if you know that that person's real, you're just not going to accept what you're seeing is real because you know that it's not. But maybe I'm wrong. You know how to? I guess I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. So I said because I had some people that they were just like you could just tell you could just tell it was fake. Well, how could you tell it was fake? I don't know how you could tell it was fake. You could just tell it was fake. You know, what is it? Do you think it was fake because you know it wasn't real? Well, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. We know that that's not really Carrie Fisher up there. So, you know, I just. There's going to have to be a, a point where there's a suspension of disbelief for the for the process of it for it to happen. So, anyways, um, James, do you want to give out your website and then I'll give Adrian a chance to give out hers? Sure. Uh, again, it's for my author website. It's uh, jim-mcdonald.net. Uh, and I've also got a new project going, which is called thewritermind.com. Uh, that's W-R-I-T-E-R-M-I-N-D.com. And that is for the business side of creatives so that, you know, you can actually profit and make a living from your creative enterprises. And Adrian, thank you for coming on here. Would you like to give a shout out to where people can find you? Do you have a blog or anything like that? I have a website, uh, com, And a lot of my posts are on LinkedIn. You can get in touch with me there as well. Are you a writer as well, or do you just do... Uh, no. no. Okay. No. So you just do all the blogging no. stuff and everything. I, I, I do the blog and stuff like that, and he is very kindly my editor. I am working on a book, but I am not a natural writer, no. <laughs> well, that's a process that comes along, and being that your husband's a writer, I'm sure that'll help out. It does. Well, guys, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you coming on here and talking about this. As always, uh, Jim, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. You're always somebody that I could just put on the show and say, okay, go, and off you'll go. And then it's like, all right, we'll just let them run, and we'll pick them and prod them where we need to ask them stuff. So, <laughs> Hey, it's always fun. I'm always happy to come. That's kind of a bad thing to say in context to what we're talking about. But we'll just let that go. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Oh, that was wonderful. I feel so refreshed. I think we should have had sex, but there weren't enough people. We'll use the orgasmatron. Oh, that's a good idea. Come on. You know, I think Beverly's nose will clog tonight. Oh, I like it. But you know something, Harold? I love a party with things. Big, big shout-outs and thank you to James and Adrian. Um, if you're part of our Facebook page, you already probably know James. James has been on the show several times. He's on our Facebook page as his real name and, I guess, as his fake name now as well. So if you're hanging out in there, give him a shout-out. You know, Let him know what you thought of the episode or whatever. Uh, big hello to everybody who joined the Facebook page this week. A little bit of a side note on that. I've since added a couple of questions before anybody joins the page. So if you're on Facebook and you want to join our Facebook 
page, I had to put three questions before you enter the page. They're very, very simple. Like you're going to see these questions and you're going to be like, for real. But the, the reason we did that is we had a lot of bots getting onto the page, even though the page is a closed page, uh, not open to the public, these things still try to weasel in and we kick them out as fast as we can. So now I just got a process where it's like, here, just answer these three simple, stupid questions. You know, even if you're not familiar with the show, just put some answers here so we know that we're actually dealing with a real person and not a bot. Uh, moving on, I need to... Uh, Say hi to everybody down in Texas and Florida who just made it through these massive, incredible storms. Um, I know everybody in Florida that I was pretty worried about. If, if you interact with me on social media and I know you're from Florida, um, I was pretty much like, are you okay? Where are you at? Are you going to be okay? Are you are you getting the hell out of that state before you go into a fiery abyss of hell that's going to be this giant hurricane that's moving up the coast? Um, from what I understand, everybody that I was talking to down there seems to be doing pretty well. The storm has, at this time, now moved out of the state. It's moved north, and it's broken down to whatever it is. But everybody seems to be all right. Everybody still has their homes, and everybody made it out okay. Um, if you're down there, be cool to one another. Take care of one another. You know, don't be a dick. You know, just look out for one another. Um, I think that's it, though. I'm starting to babble. Next week, we've got one more show coming up. And then the week after that, myself and Chuck are going down to a motorcycle expo down in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know if Lobo's going to put out a solo show or not. If not, I will just release a best of because uh, I guess a lot of you people haven't heard a lot of our old shows and a lot of you guys are new and or some of you people have just forgotten about the old shows and didn't download them, which is fine. You know, I've got no problem putting our best of back up there and the, the hits keep coming and the downloads coming when we put them up there. So, you know, I'm cool with that. But I'm starting to babble, so I'm going to let everybody go. This is Rojan. Peace out from the D. See you again soon. I want to know how it will end. I want to be sure of what it will cost. I want to strangle the stars for all they promised me. I want you to call me on your jack phone. I want to keep you alive so there is always the possibility of murder later. my hand in
see if it's different on this side. I want you to come on strong. I want to leave you out in the cold. I want the exact same thing. Thank you.